Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents Revolution, featuring your host, Heisey Lutner. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you for listening once again. I'm High C, and this is Revolution. And starting off our show today is our ever-so-popular and intriguing roundtable discussion. And I am joined by my fellow Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. co-hosts, Mildred Lynn McDonald. Good morning. And John Caracella. Hello. And... Today, I thought I would bring a topic for us to discuss that it seems to follow, perhaps, is it Maslow's Law? Perhaps, John, you know, the one that says, like, in technology, everything... Oh, Moore's Law. Moore's Law, uh, where everything speeds up every, like, 18 months or something. Yes, yes, everything doubles the 18 months. And yet it feels as if that that now sounds like an old-fashioned idea. It's as if everything changes every two months rather than 18 months, you know, by the time you've purchased a new phone or a new computer, they've already come out with some new thing. You don't even have time to enjoy the technology you just got. Um, but it made me, uh, I started thinking about that when I saw a blog post uh, by a woman talking about what she learned from her child. Uh, and, and it caused her to see how she always lived a life of hurry up. Uh, and there was a, a quote that I want to use to kick off the discussion here from that blog post. Uh, and it said, this is the, the woman talking, I will not say we don't have time for this because that is basically saying we don't have time to live. Pausing to delight in the simple joys of everyday life is the only way to truly live. So I wanted to, to bring this idea to the table, to the round table, and see what it is uh, you thought. And, and I wanted to start with a question of, it seems as if everyone is always in a rush nowadays. Um, and why do you think that is? Where does it come from that it seems like, not just you could point out this person or that person tends to be that way, but it's as if everyone seems to always be in, in, in that sort of hurry up and, and get through everything as quick as possible kind of way. Go ahead, Mildred Lynn. Well, what I was going to share was an interesting experience that I had a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. I don't watch TV, and I happened to be in the States, and I was at a hotel, and I turned the TV on, and I was fascinated by all the advertisements. They were all new to me because I didn't watch TV, so it was like watching a little mini, mini movies. But what I started to notice is that as I watched TV, including the ads, I started to get a sense inside of myself of anxiety and hurry up and rush and a sense of urgency and I need to do that and this is extreme or that is extreme. So one thing that I'd like to offer is that perhaps people are in a, in a rush or they perceive they need to be in a rush subconsciously because they're getting these urgent messages from the visuals that they absorb into their energy every day. So that's that would be like what I'd like to share. Yeah, I think I think Mildred Lynn, there's a lot 
to that. We have um, inherited, invented really, uh, a culture that overstimulates our nervous systems. Um, and that is, uh, that's a recipe for, for chronic anxiety, which is, a you know, keeping you on this, on the edge of fight or flight all the time. And so there is this sense of, um, I, I can't be still because that would make me vulnerable. And that, I think that is a below consciousness. That's below conscious level. One of the things that I think is, uh, also contributes to this is, you know, we have a very rich environment in which we live now. We have a, we are inventive creatures, and we have invented a lot of things. And so there's there is a lot to experience. There's a lot around to have the luxury and the freedom to engage. And so we have a. a I think there is a natural curiosity. And so this is the this is the this is the upside, right? Is there's a there's a natural curiosity in humans to experience and explore everything that's around. Uh, and since there's so much that's so stimulating and so different, um, I think we have this little bit of, at one level, a childlike desire to get out there and experience it all. Um, having said that, though, I think the other the the counter to that is that a lot of what's out there is artificial and not very satisfying and it's the messaging that that takes over when somebody's trying to get you to to consume one of their products they try to make they try to synthesize the desire they try to manufacture a sense of urgency about it to get your attention and and the more that happens the more that has to happen in order for anybody to get your attention so it becomes this vicious cycle of overstimulation for the sake of consuming something that you don't really want. Urgent and dramatic. You know, they can never just tell you what's going on. It always has to have some fancy title, and then they have all of this music. Uh, and, and I would say that some of it is that that unconscious effect that probably started, I'm going to say, in the 80s with uh, things like MTV. Because with that started to become faster editing processes. And nowadays, everything is edited very, very fast. Yeah, the jump cuts. the It's all hyper-stimulating. Right. And, and I think that because that's everywhere, it's not just like one place, like a little sugar rush. It's like everything, and it has affected our, just on an unconscious way, it has affected people because we're just constantly exposed to it that we start to adapt to thinking that's the way the world is. And and even in what might be considered cliche sayings, I think have gotten morphed or um, perhaps are, are now misconstrued in some ways. Because you could say that what this woman said in that quote is basically like saying we only have one life to live, you know, so so live it fully. But I think how that's morphed and how that now gets misconstrued is we only have one life to live so I have to do as much as possible as fast as possible to get everything in now 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 which I don't think was the intention of that original saying <laughs> yeah I, well you know there's I think it um, part of it has to do with this goal oriented uh, approach to things that we have where where somehow we're programmed to 
to say that I've gotten something out of life because I have checked off something on my list. And trying to optimize the the checking off of items, excuse me, items on my list uh, leads us down this, this perilous road of having lists that are way too long and compulsions to get them all done, to check them all off. And that's that. That's not actually turns out to not be satisfying. Yeah, and the other thing too is we look at as a society, or we have devalued fun and play and relaxing and slowness. They're looked as often they're looked as things that they're luxuries or nice if you have the time to do them. But I'm busy with my list. Whereas when the lady who was talking in the in the blog posting slowed down all of a sudden fun and play and relaxing and slowness became more valuable because it was in the context of loving her daughter. And I think, I think there's, a, there's something to that. Even, you know, I mean, it's, it's a blessing that she got that gift from her daughter, but, you know, uh, I, I think that at the top of the blog post, it says um, a quote, there's a quote from, from Emerson, uh, adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. I mean, that's like, Nature, if you're out in nature and observing the way the natural organic world unfolds, it's a very luxurious and uh, unfrenetic pace. It's, it's very sweet. And I think we just, you know, part of the big, you know, we probably have said this, uh, at one point or another in virtually every roundtable, our disconnection from nature allows us to get caught up in these synthetic experiences and these synthetic objectives that are very ego-based in human culture. It's, and it's not healthy. And I think something that, that both of you have touched on is, you know, we have this list of experiences that we want to check off <laughs> to do in our life. But it means we're always rushing to the next experience and we next, never really seem to stop long enough to have the experience itself. Yeah. It, it's it's a very surface experience because it's like, it allows us to say, yeah, I did that, rather than taking it deeper and really seeing and understanding what that experience has to offer or teach um, and what else is there than just being able to... It, it's like... It's like every experience, you get the T-shirt, but you have yeah. nothing more to show for it. And that isn't really an experience. That's just a check off the uh, of the list. Yeah, I, I remember going to uh, a, more, a memorial um, in Washington, D.C. I think it was uh, Robert F. Kennedy. I think it was his, his his tomb or something. And I remember there being a flame... You know something that was that uh, a perpetual flame, and texts carved into the into the rock into the the marble around it or the granite around it, and some of the people I was with said, "Okay, well let's go see that," and you know, let's go see the flame, right? And so they went up, saw the flame, and then okay, we saw the flame, and they walked away. And I'm like, 
wait a minute, you know, there was there was something to be read there. There was the whole memory of the guy and what you know what he stood for and you know trying to absorb the legacy of that work. You know, however, whatever your politics are. I mean, you know, for me it was was an interesting opportunity to soak into a period of of history that was transformative for our culture. And, uh, you know, going to see the flame and then turning and walking away was just so incomplete that I guess I was I was saddened by it, you know, witnessing that among the people that I was traveling with. So what is it that you think that we do on a personal or individual basis that tends to construct our world around us to support this kind of rush-rush way of uh, thinking um, in terms of the, the people, the environments, the things that we tend to surround ourselves with? Uh, you know, So, I mean, it's one thing we can say that it comes at us in terms of like from media and stuff, but... What do you think that we do on a personal level? Because there we have more control over perhaps changing some of those things or doing them differently. Um, you know, so so what do you think that we do on a personal or individual level to surround us with things that tend to support or create that rush rush kind of thing, rather than reminding us to stop long enough to actually have the experience, rather than to take the selfie and move on? Well, uh, two things come to mind for me: sugar in our diet. And television. <laughs> well, I see. For me, I I think we shut down our inner voice, the voice that is connected to nature, the one that has a healthy rhythm to it, and we replace that voice with other voices that are not our own unique voice and may not be anything to do with our chosen path or our highest interest. And somehow, and I don't understand why we seem to be quite. I don't content, I wouldn't say happy or agreeable to sign over that inner voice and replace it with external voices that might not suit us. And I think just in the very nature of doing that, we're sabotaging the slowness of life or the nourishment of life. Well, I, I don't know if it's content versus it's easier because it means I don't have to take the time to think for myself, to process, to come to my own decision. Um, and and do you think that we turn it off, or do you think we just drown it out? Well, I think they're kind of like the same the, the same effect. The the voice is always there. It's it is as John was talking about a flame. It's an etern- eternal flame. So from my perspective, we smother it. We don't let it breathe. We don't let it speak. We forget how to connect with it. So. That's how it appears to me. You, I guess you could call that, turn it down, smother it, turn it off, but the the end result is the same. We're not listening to the voice. Yeah, I have, I'm having sort of a, a really creepy uh, kind of revelation here in this moment about uh, what is happening uh, is that the people who, like people have energy, People have motive energy, and because they have will, 
they have the ability to direct that energy. And what what's happening in our culture is that it seems to me that that through advertising, through through the desire to productize and and consumerize everything, what's really happening is we're being stimulated specifically to produce the the desire to consume. And we, you know, the, the advertising is really just a way to, to take your will and direct it at some kind of activity or process that leads to somebody else making money off of you. So it's basically harvesting or exploiting or mining your personal energy by manipulating your will. And that is really darn creepy. Now, of course, the, why why is it the frenetic pace? Well, because the more frenetic you are, the more energy you create, the more of it can be harvested, exploited, exploited mined, or whatever. So, uh, yuck. But why why do why why do we allow that? Is I think is your question. I see. Why do we allow that? Well, again, I would come back to it's easier. You know, I think people prefer to, in in a general sense, oftentimes people prefer to be told what to do rather than having to go through the struggle (laughs) of figuring it out for themselves. Uh, They want somebody to tell them what something means rather than having to go through the time and the process of pondering it and coming to their own understanding or their own conclusions. It's very much like religion and why I think a lot of people are drawn to religious institutions. Because they want to go someplace where it says, tell me how to think, tell me how to be, so I don't have to figure out these things for myself. They're too big, they're too confusing, they're too complicated. uh, Or I just... And here it'll sound like I'm contradicting what Mildred says, but I'm not really. But it's almost as if people... I'd rather just go out and play rather than have to sit around and think about more important things. Uh, this is a this is kind of a this is a bit of a conundrum because you know there's active that you know people can be active very energetically active and not fulfilled so it's not it's not um so much a function of being sedentary or or being uh, mentally numbed. Although I guess it is though kind of mental numbness because it's like it's like kind of a brainwashed background noise that that says, you know, urgency, urgency, urgency. It's this state, constant state of anxiety that we're we're programmed into. And I guess maybe because the culture has fallen in that direction, we're. Uh, you know that that's the vibe out there, and so you kind of it's easy to fall into it. Well, well, there's no support, there's no modeling for anything else. Yeah, so, right. You know, um, and, and I think we can't just like I wouldn't say that television is bad in and of itself. It's more about how we choose to use it 
and and how much we allow it in or or anything else rather than the thing itself being seen as the evil enemy because again that externalizes and says it's television's fault versus i have anything to do with it or i have no control or i i have no part in the process right, right. Um, versus it, it's about but i have to look at how do i use that how do i allow that in and am i in control of the amount or the frequency or the the influence or or even just the the balance of if i do that do i also do something that stimulates my brain you know it's it's being okay with um actually there was a great question in the <laughs> newsletter i sent out today for my card of the day which was can you uh, think about um let me see if i can find the question really quick um it was oh uh uh, can you be willing to ask the big questions in life even if you don't find an answer? Hmm, I like that. And you know, and and I think that that's a really good challenge or exercise that would be a nice balance to say watching television or something else because there we tend to be given really tidy answers. You know, it's like uh, we want the 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 television episode to be tied up in an hour. Or we want a resolution to something rather than it being left open-ended. Um, so I think it's more about us being conscientious about how we choose to utilize those things and how much we allow them in. So to finish, I'm wondering if you might each have one suggestion for people that they might consider thinking about trying to do that would allow them to slow down a bit without feeling anxiety around doing so. Hmm. I have I have one. I found personally that when you start a meditation or a visualization or breathing practice or discipline on a daily basis and it can be more than once a day, I do personally twice a day then what you realize after a little while is that all of this rushing around or having a list starts not to make sense because you're aligning yourself with the rhythms of nature and nature doesn't really rush. <laughs> so then you start to create a little bit of a conflict within yourself and you start to wonder, what, what am I rushing for? What's the rush? So, for me personally, and I can only speak to my own experience, when I started to develop that process to listen to my inner voice through meditation or visualization, that was the the fork in the road for me when I started to notice how peaceful and centered and happy I was in this non-rushing pace. And then the other, then the rushing pace just started not to stick. That's nice. That's great. Um, for me, so I have two suggestions. Uh, one is uh, if you have access to green, greenery, if you have access to, to looking at trees, and this is, sounds silly, but it's actually really quite, quite pleasing um, to look with, with focus at a set of trees, a suburban collection of trees. And notice how many different shades of green exist in any given tree or any set of you know neighbor you know trees two or three or four or five next to each other, and 
you know, you, you have to, in order to do that, you have to slow down. But once you do, you start to realize just how intricately beautiful the, the shapes and colors of the trees and their leaves actually are. And it's really, really lovely and it slows me down. And the other is that if you are, if you don't have access to that, if you're in your office or in a cube, you know, cubicle or whatever, or in a city, it really comes down to, to the breath, right? Slowing down, taking, taking the time to, to inhale and feel your breath, to feel the process of inhaling and exhaling and see what pleasure exists in that process. And what I find is that the more mindfully you attend to the feeling of your breath, the more likely you are to adro- adopt, as Mildred Lynn says, the pace of nature, which is not in a hurry. And I would just add on to something that Mildred was saying, which is, I think, one of the the, the culprits of <laughs> the not slowing down is the instant gratification that we have almost built into us now. Um, And you can expect to try slowing down for a day and think that's going to magically change everything for you and your whole process of way and way of doing things overnight. You have to do it over and over again to allow the shift to happen within your overall way of being. So and and that's where I think a lot of people fall down. They're like, well, I tried doing this. You know, I tried meditating for a weekend, but I really couldn't get it, so I stopped. <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> okay, uh, but you know, it might take a little longer to develop a habit. Um, so, so that's that's what I would also add on to that is you have to uh, accept the slowness of allowing for some time to make that kind of a shift, rather than thinking if I slow down for a day, suddenly I'll be able to slow down overall and it'll just kind of stick with me for the rest of time. It's like, no, you have to make an effort to do it regularly over and over again to really start to see it become a way of being. So if anyone was interested in checking out the blog uh, that uh, post that uh, um, inspired this discussion, it's called The Day I Stopped Saying Hurry Up by, I don't know if it's Rachel or Rochelle, Macy Stafford, and you can find it at handsfreemama.com. So if you want to see her uh, blog post more in depth, feel free to go and visit that. So I want to say thank you to my co-host, Mildred Lynn McDonald. My pleasure, Heisey. Great topic. And John Carousella. Yeah, it was fun. Hi, C. Thanks. For joining this discussion. And I encourage you to stay tuned for the rest of the show. If you would like a chance to get a reading during the show, you can Skype in or you can call 646-716-5510 in order to get into the queue. You can continue listening to the show from the queue, but that'll mean that you're in there so that you can get a reading. Uh, uh, Also, we have our monthly updates coming up uh, on the astrology and living well fronts. Uh, And we will be joined by my guest, Nadia Shapiro, who is a life purpose coach, um, who will have a lot of tips and suggestions on how to go about finding and fulfilling your life purpose, which also may include some suggestions on slowing down a bit in order to actually see what that purpose is and being able to do it more successfully. So stay tuned for that. 
I'm Hi C. You're listening to Revolution, and we will be right back. If you wanna go, come on now, baby. Oh, come on, let me go. You take it super slow. you'd like guidance with? Get your question ready and join us by calling 1-646-716-5510 or by using the Skype button on the Firefly Willows LIVE show page. Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows LIVE. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. I am Linda Wiley. And this is Living Well with Linda. Your monthly guide to the well-being of your body, mind, and spirit. It's about an alternative approach to life, healing, and living well in our changing world. Food is alive. It is a being. It is a sacred being. Food is not just our vital need. It is the web of life. Vandana Shiva. Our body is a machine for living. It is organized for that. It is its nature. Let life go on in it, unhindered, and let it defend itself. It will do more than if you paralyze it by encumbering it with remedies. Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace. To realize our connection with all of life and the plant and animal kingdom and how we support and help each other in our process. I am Linda Wiley and this is Living Well with Linda. 
Welcome and hello, Linda. Nice to have you join us here once again as we are entering into the the heart of the summer season. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I have to admit that where I live, it seems as if we cycle through seasons every three days. The past few weeks we have had you know, cold, windy, winter-like weather. We have had a little bit of spring-like weather. We had some rain <laughs> uh, for a day. Um, we've had, now we have a few days where it's been really, really hot and even muggy, because, which is odd for us because of the humidity from the rain the other day. So, you know, it's, it's a very interesting start to <laughs> what we would call the summer season, although we're hard-pressed to necessarily identify exactly where summer is versus, oh, those three days, yes, that was summer. Uh, so hopefully you're enjoying your, your season up there in Eugene, Oregon. Well, it sounds pretty similar to what you're uh, experiencing. Yes. Uh, it was very, very hot in the 90s, and now it's back down with a cool, cool breeze down into the 70s. And, you know, that makes it hard on the plants. It makes it hard on life. It it's, uh, can be challenging in many ways. Which may, which which may also be an indication of what's happening more globally with the climate and that kind of thing, that there are differences and things happening and adaptations that we're having to start making an understanding compared to what we might normally have thought of as that traditional weather cycle and that kind of thing. So thinking about that, do you, do you have any thoughts on this time of year, both from maybe a traditional standpoint as well as some of those adaptations or things we need to think about differently now as the climate and things seem to be shifting? I, I do. I do have a couple of interesting little pieces of information to share. So I'd like to start off with a look at what perhaps change really means. You know, some words and phrases are deeply beautiful, truthful, and inspiring. One such set of words is so, and it says, we are the answer. Always have been, really, for in truth there is nothing outside of the self. And to be that answer, we must participate. I think this is often the missing little piece, is our participation. This is what life asks of us, to take responsibility. We, in fact, must change ourselves to be able to change the world, for it is one thing. The recovery of the earth is our own recovery from the lies of separation and this fabricated system that we have come to call life. The magic will return as we grow within, share, and participate with nature and each other. Indigenous ways work, for they add to the resiliency of the earth and ourselves, working with nature, not against her. So it is us together or not at all that life will move forward. We we deeply need to to see this, I feel. We need collective leadership for in the deepest sense, all of us are leaders. And there are no lost causes for there is hope, real hope, for we can regenerate any landscape today both within and without via permaculture and via the tools that we have um, through consciousness rising and and self-help and things kind of of that nature, to be able to look within. So 
it is time for humanity to act as a species on a planetary scale to secure our common future. But it must begin within each one of us. Indeed, this simple question begs many answers. What if we change? As Michael Jackson has said, if we want to make the world a better place, then we must look within at ourselves and make a change. And you know, I see there really is no out there. There really is only in here reflected back and out into the world. So change within is the element of change without. So here are some thoughts for your consideration. Permaculture offers the world a view that heals and returns life to its truth. I think it's one we would all do well to take up and heed its call. And that time, of course, is now. So that's the first little thing that I wanted to to share. And I think that um, an important element of that would go back to what we were talking about in the roundtable a little earlier in the show, which uh-huh. was about slowing down and not being in such a rush to hurry through life. Because if we're going to, A, be a participant, we have to actually slow down long enough to participate rather than just giving a little fly-by high and moving on to the next thing. And two, if we're going to come back into that relationship with nature, nature is not in a hurry. It, it, it does things in its own time, and it allows for the time that things take. And so I think there's a lot, especially from the permaculture model and just the, the model of nature in itself, that can also really give us something to use as, as a, uh, a way to see how to do that and a rhythm that we can attune to in order to breathe and actually participate in living life rather than rushing through life. And when we participate in life in that way, as you're, you're suggesting, for me, it's something about opening the heart. And then, and as we observe, as you suggest also, then as we observe and we can really see what's going on, our participation is from a much different place. It's from a grounded, heart-centered uh compassionate perhaps place of action whereas before when we're rushing through life and not taking time uh, it's often from a mental egoic kind of place and then that action doesn't really do what you would want it to do out in the world so and i think it really does cultivate compassion because we can quickly walk by the homeless person on the street asking for money and not notice them or pity them or some people may get angry and think why do they have to be out here on the streets why can't they you know be in a uh, hidden away someplace however how often do you hear a story when someone slows down long enough to ask that person a question or hear their story and then it completely changes the way that they look at or feel about that person than if they were just quickly walking by them and glancing and not noticing or paying attention to them. And I think it's the same for participating in nature or participating in our own lives, is we can't observe when everything is going by in a blur. Right. And so if we slow down long enough to actually participate, it means we're going to see things more clearly which ultimately is going to open the heart 
and generate that compassion for all things around us, be it people, plants, animals, etc. And then, as we say, the action that comes out of that is one we could say of reciprocity. It's one of the honorable harvest. It's one of the of 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 deep thanksgiving. And I think that is the true circle of life. That's what sustains and gives and promotes and honors and continues. And you had mentioned to me that um, there's somebody you really admire, um, I guess from a while back, called named Weston Price. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And that's who I would like to speak about now. Uh there seems to be, in, in the world today, there's lots of conversations and judgments around vegetarian, vegan, raw, meat eaters, unconscious eaters, what to eat, how to eat, if to eat, and moving into the realm of food. Within the permaculture model, animals are a big part of the scene and harmonious within the lifestyle of the homestead. They're, they're part of the whole scene. Animals have always been with us in the village life, in the community, tribally speaking, Native Americans, always with the animals. So eating meat is a big issue today, as I mentioned, from vegan to vegetarian. We all have our views on life, and they all tend to be very strong positional views. Who knows what? I know it, and you don't. And so I... I've gone through many phases myself, been a vegetarian, a raw food, a non-vegetarian, and all of it. So I find that freedom of choice is what it's all about. No one convincing me of this or that, but eating a wholesome, organic, local, seasonal, humanely sourced, well-rounded diet (laughs) heals us all, and the earth as well. Making the right choice is important, and yes, food matters deeply so. For me, my journey with food found my health totally turn around by adding meat back into my diet after being a vegetarian for 35 years. And I'm a well-educated person in the realm of food and diet and so on, so it's not that I wasn't eating well as a vegetarian. When I added meat, I felt more energy, my skin improved, uh, there was a better glow, a more healthy look, I, I lost weight, I leaned out. Um, and that became the new new norm for me. And it was really good. Meat and veggies, fruit, nuts, seeds, good fats. This keeps the body healthy and strong and at its best. And our first defense against disease keeps the body and mind clear, which is the choice of food that we make. So it is really important, especially in today's world. So here's a little blurb from Weston that I really like and I'd like to share it with you. So Mother Earth nourishes us with plants and animals and we take care of her in return. This is called reciprocity. At least that's how it's supposed to be, a symbolic, uh, excuse me, a symbiotic relationship between man and mother, a beautiful and never-ending cycle of death and rebirth that's happening every single moment. That relationship has been broken now that food is more of an industrial commodity rather than an offering of love and an abundance from Pachamama. It turns out that traditional cultures from around the globe have been eating meat for 
hundreds for thousands of years, respectfully, sustainably, and spiritually. In fact, according to a book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, written by Weston A. Price, indigenous tribes from all continents were studied for their diets and level of health. Not one of these groups of traditional peoples from the Eskimos in Alaska to the Amazonian Indians in Peru to the Maori in New Zealand were totally plant-based cultures. Not one of these groups excluded animal products entirely from their diet. In fact, many of these cultures had sacred foods, certain animal products that were fed to newly wed, uh, newly married couples, pregnant women, and small children because of their high nutrient density and healthful energetic properties. The bottom line is that is that what's wrong with meat and other animal products, as well as our own lives, is the system that we have in place, not the actual eating of animals. My decision to switch back to animal products was a personal one and ultimately out of necessity. I had gotten sick in my gut, the intuitive center of my being, and it was the very animal foods that I had once villainized that nourished my body back to health so that my spirit could be healthy. Just as my ancestors did, I give thanks to Pachamama and her animals who have sacrificed their own lives so that I may live a healthy, vibrant, and spiritual life. And we, by caring and loving and honoring, share in the circle of life, the circle of reciprocity, the honorable harvest, the deep thanksgiving. This is how I believe life was intended to be. I myself am healthier today than I ever have been as a body and as a spirit including animal products in my diet has enabled me to achieve this level of health so that I can share my gifts with the world. I don't just pray before my meal. I pray with my life. My life is my prayer. This is what change is about, what we have forgotten, why we drift so far afield in life. It's the taking out of the unhealthy industrialized foods that folks heal, why people heal, not because they became a vegetarian or a vegan or anything else. So I, I think that in today's world, as I say, eating a healthy diet and enjoying life and not being too strict or positional, because that tends to separate us out and to remember the great joy of sharing the gift of life with others, which is through food. Well, and I think that when you came back and chose to start eating meat again, and what I'm a big advocate of, because I'm actually a vegetarian, um, and this goes back to that idea of slowing down, is doing so from a place of conscientiousness. Yeah. So it it's says... Intention. Yes. Because it's it's being conscientious enough to... And this is what I think where the, the biggest problem in our culture is, conscientious enough to ask and to find out where your food is coming from and how it has been treated, both in terms of how it was treated you know, on the farm or whatever, but also has it been treated with yeah. antibiotics or you know, chemicals or, or whatever. And it's that conscientiousness that I always try to impress upon people. You know, I try to tell them I'm not some like vegetarian Nazi that says right. I'm right, they're wrong, I, you know, don't eat meat, period. All I want is if you're going to eat meat, then instead of just buying it because you want it when you sit down in the restaurant, 
take the time to ask and say, where did it come from? Or if you're going to cleanly sourced food. Yeah. Local food. It's the most important. I agree with you. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Well, no, it's okay. Yes, because we need to know where our food comes. And, you know, how about when you eat at a restaurant, you also make a choice because it's important where we put our money. So when I go out, I always choose a restaurant that is a local, organic kind of place. And some of these are very lovely now. You can have wine and drinks and, you know, the whole thing. Uh, enjoy a lovely meal that that's good for you. Well, and, and going back to that, hurrying through life, because how often, even if I say that to people, a lot of times they will say, well, I, just, I don't have time to stop and, and ask the person behind the counter at the store where the meat came from. I just need to get in and get out or, you know, whatever. It's like, Exactly. Well, then that's not being conscientious. I, you know, that that's more the issue I have. I, I have no issue of whether you're choosing to eat meat or not. I just have a... When we make choices when we're asleep, as we were talking about earlier, our participation, when we come from that heart-centered place, we would make choices then, you see, as we're participating in life that honor life. So it would be a natural extension, a natural choice that we would choose grass-fed, antibiotic-free, natural-raised uh, meats and uh, pastured chicken and pastured eggs and all of those kinds of things. You would naturally want to choose that. Uh, and so do you have any tips, recipes, suggestions for this time of year that we can use to to be a, a, a participatory part <laughs> of that process? Yes. Uh, one of the most important participatory things that we do uh, in this summertime is to soak up the sun. So I, I get your dose of vitamin D3. You know, I like to say that I'm when I'm out in the sun that I'm collecting vitamin D3. And that's that's my purpose. That's what I'm doing. So, you know, being in the sun today, we just have to use some wisdom. And use sunscreen very minimally, only if you really, really have to, and there's no other choice, although I really doubt that there's not another choice as far as just putting on a shirt or whatever, but as well as sunglasses, as they both prohibit the body's uptake of vitamin D3. And they also, sunglasses limit the amount of light that actually goes in through our eyes and goes into the pituitary gland. And so it's really critical that we can be with our eyes open in the sunlight at at some point, not staring in the sun in the middle of the day or anything like that, but just being natural out in the sunlight is really important. It's a, to, to take for the body to take that light in and nourish itself with that. That's one of the deeper things in there. Um, so be in the sun in the mornings and the late afternoon. Cover up the rest of the time. As always, drink plenty of water. Eat raw foods as much as possible. Summertime, you know, that goes with the local seasonal organic kind of thing. Summer foods are cooling and moistening. That's why they grow in the summertime. And eating them raw is the best. If you have a garden, you know what I'm talking about. You just off the vine, there's nothing like it. So enjoy raw fruits and vegetables and juices as, as much as you can. 
and uh, be out in nature as much, much as possible. Enjoy time with family and friends and see that living in Thanksgiving offers a whole new way to participate in life, a whole new way to view life, and a whole new way to live life. And also, barbecue some grass-fed burgers on gluten-free buns with all the trimmings. <laughs> when we eat with joy, integrity, and thanksgiving, the whole of life changes. Pleasure and sheer enjoyment are a gift of a life well-lived. So get out there and enjoy some, some life. It's fun to be creative um, in summer because there's so many wonderful different types of produce and herbs and flowers and things to choose from to choose from. So bring home some random random ingredients and use your imagination to create a delicious imaginative meal. Um, and I have a book to recommend that goes along with this. It's called The Flavor Bible. It's a big, thick book. It's written by a couple of chefs. But what it does, it, it's, it's a really incredible and genius wonderful thing. It lists the foods with all the ingredients that work well with that specific food. So so you want to do cauliflower. So you look up cauliflower and you find all the ingredients that match with it. You, you need to do persimmon. So you look up persimmon and it's all the things that go good with that. So that leaves you open to create something really fantabulous and uh, unique by combining those ingredients because basically you know you can't go wrong because these are the things that fit together with that particular food. So anyway, it's uh, it's great fun and you can create some fun and usual things with it to tantalize your guests. And that was called the Flavor Bible. Yes, the Flavor Bible. Which makes it easy to look up just by the title. <laughs> yes, you won't have trouble. <laughs> you won't find it. So with all of these abundant ingredients and, and a little guide as to how to mix flavors and that kind of thing, um, is there any particular favorite recipe that you have for this time of year that you might like to share? Well, I do actually have a little something. And um, my garden, so I, I in getting ready for the show, I thought, well, what's happening in my garden? And so right now I just have... a uh, overabundance of strawberries, beautiful strawberries. You know when strawberries are ripe from the vine, organic, ripe from the vine, they're actually red all the way through. They're not just red on the outside, but they're red all the way through. So fabulous. So anyway, so my little recipe is strawberries with coconut cream. And to make the coconut cream, which I can eat by the bowlful, by the way, so fabulous. Mm -mm -mm. So you need a can of coconut cream, which you can get at a health food store or someplace like that. It's a little can, and it's just the coconut cream. It's not coconut milk. It's just a little special can of, of coconut cream. And so you mix that into a bowl, and I use stevia to 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 taste. But remember, it's very sweet. A little goes a long way. Stevia, then I put in some vanilla extract and some hazelnut extract. And, and that adds, it's just a wonderful combination of flavors in there. You mix it all together, whisk it in, set it in the refrigerator overnight, and this will thicken it up. And it, it 
almost like whipped cream. It doesn't get that thick, you know, whipped cream kind of thing, but it's so delicious is what I can tell you. It's so delicious. And then I get some gluten-free cookies. They're a Pamela's is the brand I use, like a chocolate chip walnut or a pecan shortbread. And you put the cookie down, you put the berries over the top with the coconut cream. Uh, you can add a few little nuts if you wanted or some chocolate chips, maybe a little sprig of mint, a little uh, uh, pansy. Um, and, well, there you go. It's delicious. Maybe some chocolate ice cream. And one quick thing, you can make ice cream from your fruit. Pineapple is the best with a champion juicer. This is an old-fashioned, old thing kind of way, but this champion juicer has a special little thing where you put your fruit through it, it comes out, it's creamed, it homogenizes it or something like that through it, and it's just amazing. Pineapple is fabulous, strawberries, mango, peaches are really good too. Guilt-free dessert, I'm all for it. And they all sound perfect for 90 and 100 degree weather that we have right now. Indeed, yes. Well, I'm going to quickly say thank you because I must dash off to get some strawberries and some coconut cream because now I cannot wait to have some of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. I'm going to make myself some tonight, too. (laughs) Well, thank you, Heisey. This was very fun. Thank you. And, And thank you again for sharing your wisdom and helping all of us to live well. Thank you. And remember, it's only a dream. 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 Thank you for joining me today for this segment of Living Well with Linda. I'm Linda Wiley. If you would like to chat further with questions, comments, or consultations, please contact me at Linda at Prestia.com. Thank you and blessings to all. Blessings to all. Have a great rest of the day. You're listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. Revolutionary guest this month is life purpose coach Nadia Shapiro. 
As a well-known life purpose coach and psychic medium, Nadia Shapiro uses her natural-born intuitive abilities to help people realize their dreams. She's helped hundreds of people discover their life purpose and hundreds of entrepreneurs build successful businesses from the ground up. Nadia is a talented facilitator who has led over a hundred classes and workshops and has given hundreds of talks on the subjects she is most passionate about. She is a sought-after public speaker and the author of two books. Nadia is committed to helping shift consciousness in all of her endeavors. Her mission is to use her gifts to inspire and lead people to live inside their true life purpose. She works with people to help them ground their self-worth, solve their career questions, and align their ambitions with the greatest good for all beings. You can find out more about Nadia Shapiro and her work by visiting www.masteryourlifepurpose.com or at nadiashapiro.com. So please join me in welcoming to the show revolutionary guest Nadia Shapiro. Welcome, Nadia Shapiro, to the show. Thank you so much for being willing to be here today and share your insights, wisdom, and services with the listeners. Well, it's just absolutely wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this month is because uh, this is the month of summer solstice which is when the, the sun is at its peak, shining its brightest, sending its radiance down upon the earth. And one of the the aspects I think of in terms of what you're working with and helping people do is to really bring out their radiance and help them shine as brightly as possible in themselves, in their lives, and in the world through everything that they do in their life. And... Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I just think people are so capable of so much more than they think. And sometimes, you know, they just don't see it. And so what I like to do is really shine that light on them and really show them what they're capable of. Um, A lot of the work that I do is really about discovering your life purpose. And I think that, you know, everybody has a divine purpose that they're here for. And a lot of us just lose sight of that. And sometimes we just need someone to shine that damn flashlight on us. So that's what I do. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) And it's probably solar powered, so you never have to worry about running out of energy. Yeah, I just crank it. (laughs) (laughs) So you call yourself a life purpose coach. And I think we're more used to hearing people uh, use perhaps the title of life coach. So maybe you can describe a little bit about what you do, and what's the difference between going to a life coach versus coming to you as a life purpose coach? Yeah, you know, I've uh, given, I've deemed myself, I've I've crowned myself the life purpose expert. <laughs> and um, really the difference is, um, I, you know, life coaches, uh, you know, 
some of them, it sounds pretty general, right? You know, they can usually work in different areas of your life and help you, you know, achieve a goal or get to where you want to be. I specifically work in the area of life purpose. And usually it's with people that are stuck in their jobs or stuck in their careers, but know they have a bigger purpose in life and they don't really know what that is. And so what I do is I actually help them discover what that purpose is. But I don't just stop there. I actually help them turn it into um, work that they love or mainly a business that they love because I've been a long-term entrepreneur and then ten, you know, 10 different businesses myself. And so, um, you know, how much would it suck for you to discover your life purpose and not be able to work in it every day? You know, why would someone want to go to work 40, 60 hours a week not living in their life purpose? That would be just awful. And um, so I kind of integrate the two, discovering your purpose and creating work that you love. And so I just, you know, focus on that area of, uh, you know, people's greatness and discovering exactly who they are and getting really grounded in their purpose. Because when you're really grounded in your purpose, that is when you'll have um, a career or a business that will actually really thrive. You know, a lot of people get excited about different careers or business opportunities and what happens is that excitement eventually just dies it just you know it just goes out the window and it's really not grounded in who they really are and what they're really passionate about and what their vision and their mission for their life is so since you primarily tend to focus on career issues and that kind of thing how do you differentiate between someone being defined by their career and the work that they do versus someone who is living and fulfilling their life's purpose through their career and the work that they do? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, um, I think it's just the way that we're conditioned in our society. Um, and I'm just going to talk about our society, right, you know, uh, for this specific question. Um, you know, we tend to think about ourselves in the terms of our job or our career, and like that's who we are. I'm an accountant. I'm a, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm a this. I'm a that. And it actually, really has nothing to do with who you are. That's a purpose. But someone who is actually like living their life purpose, um, really gets that that's their creation, that they are the creator of their own life and they get to live in that every day. And, you know, a person may have um, multiple life purposes throughout their lifetime. Um, I've worked with several people that have gone through, um, you know, two or three, you know, life shifts in their purpose. And it's really all about what you create it to be. But if you don't know yourself very well, and you don't know what you're passionate about, and you don't know what your vision is, it's almost impossible to discover your purpose. And I think that that's something important that people perhaps don't pay attention to, even in the the, the terminology there. Because when we say it's our life purpose, it means it's not something that just happens overnight. Mm-hmm. It is an ever-evolving and ongoing process throughout our lifetime. And... Finding your life purpose doesn't mean you're then going to just do the same thing for the rest of your life because your life purpose can take many turns and shifts 
and and end up in different destinations a than you thought they might and b there may be multiple destinations for your life purpose to go to throughout your lifetime rather than it being a single straight shot towards one particular destination or purpose uh so how do you allow or how do you get people to one be able to see this isn't going to happen overnight and it is something that is about a lifetime <laughs> purpose and to also accept when it is time to shift or change rather than holding on to what they thought they were supposed to be doing rather than seeing the benefit of allowing that change to happen. Well, it's really a journey. And you know, here's a here's a myth, okay, that I have just I have to put this out there. I don't really think that you can go to, say, a psychic or someone and say, hey, what's my life purpose? I want you to tell me what my life purpose is because they would miss the whole point. If someone told you what your life purpose is, you would miss the whole point because it is about the journey that you create. And I actually take them through this really amazing process. And um, I call it the five C's to um, discovering your life purpose. So the first two parts are clarity um, really bringing clarity to all aspects of your life that are unclear, and then completion, completing all of those things that um, you're dealing with or in the past that are that you're holding on to as baggage that you keep dragging from the past into your future. Um, you know, a lot of us have uh, incomplete relationships and and things like that that we just keep reliving over and over and over again. So the first process is you've got to get rid of the baggage so that you can create a, a wide open space where you can actually manifest from and so the next part is about getting connected to who you are and this is the part where like your homework is like to date yourself you literally go home for a few weeks and you are just so madly deeply in love with yourself you get reconnected with yourself and then when you're reconnected with yourself you really know who you are and you know what you're passionate about and then we get into the creativity and the creator phase where at that point you actually know who you are and you know what you want to do and you know what you're passionate about. We go to work on creating that and what that would look like. And then the last part is actually being committed to your life purpose for a certain amount of time. So if you don't make that commitment to yourself um, for you know at least you know a month or two, then it doesn't become um, ingrained in what you're doing every day. So, um, yeah, that's my, my five C's. And then I actually have a, a six C, which um, is kind of talked about towards the end of the program, is the confidence part. And I think, you know, when people lose their confidence, they lose their power. And when you have your confidence, you have the ability to really live in your life purpose. And, you know, what I find in most people that I work with is that those people actually are people that want to make a difference in on the planet and other people's lives and they start showing up for themselves as leaders like um, leaders in the communities um, you know just really being able to have the confidence to make a difference with the the newfound gift and the newfound power that they have so the so the the five main c's mm-hmm. <laughs> are clarity completion connection creativity, and commitment. And then the the secret sixth C is confidence. Yes. So uh, maybe we can unpack those a little bit. So when we talk about clarity, how 
how does someone differentiate between what they think they see and are so sure they know to be their life purpose versus recognizing what may actually be their life purpose and what they think it is, what what they're so sure their life purpose is, being able to see that that's influenced by outside voices, people, etc., rather than being their true purpose and they're buying into somebody else's vision of their life purpose rather than their own? Oh, that's such a great question because that is just, it's it's the case almost all the time. You know, when you, when you ask somebody like, why, where did you get the idea to want to become, um, you know, a police officer or a fireman? You know, I'm just kind of using little kids as examples. And it usually, it, it you know, came from a suggestion somewhere. Um, or, you know, we pay attention to the subjects that we're good at in school and we're given the advice that you should probably go into a career that is um, having, you know, that will have these subjects in it because you're probably going to go, or we get one of those, you know, those tests, those aptitude tests that tell us, you know, maybe what we should, what we, what we should be, but they completely lack um any vision or mission or any influence of actually who we really, really are. And so most of the time, I can't, I mean, I can't really even think of a time except for the people that come to me that have a general good idea of what they want to do. They're always influenced um, by an external factor and that's how they got where they were and that's how they become, you know, unfulfilled. So, um, that's usually always uh, the case. And actually, when um, when we're working with, you know, clarity and completion, a lot of times what will happen is people will get really excited. I think, I think I found my purpose. I think I found it. And I actually ask everybody to, okay, well, hold on to that. And I want you to hold off until, you know, towards the end of uh, what we're working on here and see if that's still the case. And a lot of times it's actually not. It's actually not the case. And so that's why it's so important to get clear, get clarity in your life. Um, and I'm talking about like you just get clear on everything. And, and even like little things like, you know, your car, like physical things like your car in your house, those things that are messy actually contribute to a lot of the stuff that's going on with you energetically. So it's impossible to get clarity when there's things around you that are completely unorganized and messy. And so um, it's only from a space of being an empty space, of removing all the baggage and really completing all the things that um, are incomplete in our life, whether they're projects or, you know, maybe there's um, a relationship, you know, with like a dad, you know, a mom or a dad, and you haven't had a conversation in years because you got into an argument we work on how to safely um, and effectively complete those conversations so that you actually have this wide open space that you can manifest from. And it's only when you have a wide open, clear space um, that you can actually really uh, manifest and create from. It's it's like almost... Um, you know, having a blank canvas, like maybe it was dirty and you washed it. And now you have this beautiful, you know, blank white canvas. And now you get to paint, you know, whatever it is that you know that you're passionate about, you know, in that point, you really know who you are. It's not till you remove all that stuff till you really get to the core of who you are. And I think that something you said there really is important to, when we think of the next C completion, because 
a lot of times people think that when I find my life purpose or I'm doing my life purpose, then I will be complete. Or when you talk about issues with, say, you know, a father from childhood or whatever it is, people tend to think once I'm doing my life purpose, that's going to bring completion and closure to those other issues in my life rather than recognizing it's more about bringing the completion and closure to those things in order for you to be able to pursue and fulfill your life purpose as fully as possible. Right. Yes, that's just you just said it so beautifully. Uh and so I think that it's it's redefining our relationship to the word completion to not see it as completion is when I'm at the end or doing my life purpose versus there are things that need to be completed before, one, we may be clear and able to find our life purpose, and two, we may never be able to complete or fulfill the potential of our life purpose as long as those other things are still dangling. It's like getting in relationship with somebody thinking they're going to fix me or fill that hole for me or heal something, you know, rather than I have to do that myself in order to then have a healthy relationship. Yeah, exactly. And that, and. And this part, actually, completion is is one of the hardest parts that people have. Uh, people have the most trouble going through that because we're so used to just ignoring things or just letting things go, and we don't realize how much it actually affects us. And you know, once I see people over that hump, I mean, like it's like they're little kids with like tons of energy, and they're just running around, exciting, like just knew they they didn't know they were capable of actually you know, removing all this baggage that was in the way. And that's actually one of my my favorite things to kind of watch people go through because it is like a world of difference. You go from someone, you know, some people are really resistant to wanting to um, complete things in their past. And then, you know, once you're kind of over that, it's like you, there, you have unlimited energy and potential. And we just don't realize how much that holds us back. It clouds our judgment. And then when we move to connection, and you really talked about how that's like dating yourself, Mm -hmm. I think that there is a lot of emphasis placed on connecting to other people. Uh, You know, because people look for these things by going to workshops or finding the right teacher or, you know, that kind of thing. And there's so much externally focused trying to network and connect with other people that the relationship with the self goes completely untended and we lose connection to who we really are which goes back to what we were talking about earlier when we start to be we start to see our life purpose and start to do things according to what other people say, how other people see us, or what we think other people are going to accept, validate, or applaud, rather than it being something that is coming from us. Right. Yeah, and you know, I was just talking about this with a, with a client, and it's not until you reestablish that connection with yourself that you're actually going to have amazing connections with other people. And I actually go with the philosophy that everybody else is us. You know, everybody in front of me is me. The pe- the things I don't like in people are the things I don't like in myself. The things I love in people are the things I love in myself. And I actually operate this 
or I should say I try to operate like this on a daily basis. I learn so much when I do, and that's kind of what I, I teach other people. So when you're really connected in yourself, and you're really grounded in yourself, and you're just giving yourself so much unconditional love, and, you know, we're we're so mean to ourselves. I mean, we just, we have so much negative self-talk. We don't pay attention to ourselves. Um, when was the last time you looked in the mirror and said, you are so friggin' awesome and so amazing and so powerful? It just, you know, it, it doesn't happen. It's odd. It just, it feels odd and unusual. But it's when you are in that Space, that your connections with other people just flourish. And um, and that's actually another aspect that I bring back into when someone um, is learning how to do this work in a career or a business because those are the ones that make the most money because they're so connected in who they are and people are just, you know, they just flock to them because they're just so connected, and I think it's reminding people connection doesn't mean how many people do you have connected to your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, that's that's great, but that's not really going to do anything for your life purpose. Right. Right. So so the next C is creativity. And one, I think people sometimes are afraid of that word because they immediately think, well, I don't have any artistic talent and therefore, you know, how am I going to do that? And Two, you know, earlier in the show, during our roundtable discussion, uh, we were talking about the the topic of not being in such a hurry-up mode in life. And when we're always rushing from thing to thing, we're never taking the time to actually stop long enough to enjoy it, to savor the experience and get a depth and richness from the experience because it's always like, okay, I did that, got it to check it off of my list, now it's on to the next thing. And creativity, I think, can't be done in a quick check-it-off-the-list approach to things because we're going to fall back into what we know has worked before or what everybody else is doing in order to get it done as quickly and efficiently as possible rather than opening up what may come from that creativity which can provide unexpected things. So what are some of the suggestions or tips that you give people to, one, tap into their creativity and what creativity means, and then how to go about applying creativity in all ways and in all areas of their life or their approach to things? Yeah, so creativity in the form of creator. So um, I actually work off the fact that, you know, I believe that I am creator and me and the creator, whatever you want to call it, the the powers that be, God, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, I believe that we are one and the same. And every single thing in my life is something that I've created. And even the bad stuff. You know, or I should say, the stuff that I had perceived to be negative and sad, um, you know, for most of my life, until you know, you know, a few years ago, I was the victim of my life. But when I actually really got that I was the creator of my life, that's when everything totally changed overnight. 
So I always tell people, put your creator panties on (laughs) and go out and get that you are the creator of your life. So, and that's where you bring in creativity. Um, You know, getting up and being intentional with your day and actually creating how your day is going to go before you go through your day. Um, You know, telling people what you're creating adds a whole other level of manifestation on top of that. So if you get up and say, you know, I am creating a day that's full of passion and excitement. I'm the possibility of uh, being passionate and exciting. And the more that you operate in that, And the more that you share with that, the more that that's going to happen. And so another way to look at that is kind of going back to what you were saying about, you know, kind of being present. We only have one moment at a time. And most of us live in the future or in the past. Our brain is always going, you know, from one thing to the next. And you can only be um, a possibility one moment at a time. So you can only be passionate right now and right now and right now and right now and so on and so on. And so the more throughout the day that you focus on your intention, what happens is like a quilt. So each little moment is a little square to your quilt. And eventually when you're doing this long enough, you have a whole quilt that just manifests into reality. And that's how your your day actually appears and how your day actually goes. But what happens, a whole other element is when you're sharing that with other people and you're enrolling them in your excitement and your possibility, their energy goes on top of your energy, which actually manifests it even quicker. And so learning when you're really present to, you know, the things that you're creating every day, and at this point you're present to what you're passionate about, this is when you start to put the puzzle pieces together. Now, you may know consciously some of the things that you're passionate about and that you love to do. But this is the part that's fun because you'll start to discover all the things that you've done in the past that, you know, the the careers that you've chosen and, you know, just all the things that you've done. You'll notice that there's a common denominator between all of them. And this is kind of where you start to create from is that common denominator. And that's kind of where your, your passion and your fulfillment lives. You were trying to package it in a completely different way before, you know, by going with your your career that you're in right now. But now you've you have the ability to create something completely different with it that actually um, will pull together all of the real aspects of who you are without, you know, needing that external influence from anybody, um, without needing um, it to look a certain way. And so this is kind of where we go to create um, a, a career or a business that involves all of these real, real core components of who you are. So it's creativity, not necessarily in the form of like going and and you know artistically, you know, being artistic and drawing and stuff like that. It's creativity in the form of you getting that you are creator and you actually taking the things that you already know about yourself and creating them into something that's sustainable. And so I'm wondering how, if at all, because maybe you'll say it doesn't or this isn't something that's part of your belief system, um, if we are the creator, where does fate or destiny play into that? 
Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, it's all, you know, it's all belief in yourself, knowing that whatever it is that you need will show up. And your destiny is whatever you create it to be. So if you were to look at that canvas I was talking about earlier, it's whatever it is that you want to put on that canvas. If you look at your life like a book and you're the author, you know, and you want to write the this spectacular ending where you get all of the things that you want in life, that's what you get to do. But you have to get that you're not the victim of your life. You're the creator. You create everything. All the people in your life, everything that's happening are all stuff that you brought yourself. You are your own destiny. You know, you you bring all of those aspects to yourself. And I also think that that term creativity really encourages us and perhaps challenges some people to to be willing to um, experiment and explore and take some risks and even to allow for failure or for things to not work the way you thought they would um, in order to uncover the layers of that uh, of your purpose and to really hone and find the right things. So how do you move people beyond um, the the fear of failure or the fear of judgment and criticism in order to be more creative and then step into the role of creator of what they really want because it may involve a certain amount of risk or failure or other people not necessarily accepting them in that way. Yeah, so that that's actually most of that is actually removed in the completion part. So that there actually isn't fear to operate off of because you cannot create off of fear. Otherwise, you will consistently keep getting what you're afraid of over and over and over again. It's like those people that say I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke, I have no money and they keep manifesting no money, no money, no money. So um and the other thing that I go to work on are all those limiting beliefs. And, um, you know, with fear underneath it is a limiting belief. And it usually, it, it's always the case. It's something that happened when we were a little kid and there's a conversation we made up about something. You know, something happened that we didn't know how to, you know, we didn't know what box to put it in and we just made a decision about it. And then we just make the decisions for the rest of our life operating from this like seven-year-old's point of view. And actually it's one of the first things that I do is I remove that. So you actually, you don't have that any longer. It's just, it's gone. It's complete. It's in the past because you cannot create on top of fear. I mean, you can, but you're not going to get to your purpose. Which, I think is going to then take us to the the next C of commitment because on the one hand, what you were just talking about, one has to make the commitment to pushing beyond the fear uh, rather than saying we're going to do it. But then as soon as a major challenge obstacle or something that feels intimidating or scary comes up, we quickly back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also understanding, I think it goes back to that idea that part of the the term is life purpose, is commitment means long-term commitment to that purpose, not just I'm going to commit to this until it's boring. And then (laughs) when it starts to become work 
or when it's not quite as exciting or in that honeymoon phase, my attention is going to drift and I'm going to look for something else to stimulate me, to excite me, to entertain me, because now this isn't doing it, which I think is also a trap people fall into, just like they do in relationships. When the honeymoon phase is over and that initial excitement and adrenaline rush of doing something you love and creating something and all of that starts to wear away and you really have to get into more of the nitty-gritty work aspect, people can tend to start to interpret that as, well, maybe now I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe now I've gone the wrong direction. Or maybe this isn't really the right thing for me to be doing anymore. Um, So how do you define and explain commitment? And then how do we cultivate in people a sense of long-term commitment to the purpose regardless of the obstacles and challenges rather than I'm committed to this as long as it comes easy? Yeah, you know, um, you know, a lot of the times the things that aren't working out in our life are actually the things that we're committed to. So I don't know if you, you know, if you ever noticed, like, you know, losing weight. So it can be an obstacle because you're committed to, committed to it. And so that's the great thing about removing a lot of the junk that's in the way so that your commitments actually last longer and they stay stronger. But what I have people first do is get very present to their mission and their vision for their life. And that's actually the first thing that we do is we create that. Um, Even though in the very beginning someone may not know exactly who they are or may not know what their vision is, I have a a really um, amazing way of pulling that out of people. And so commitment is very easy when your mission in life is much bigger than your life. When you get up in the morning and your your mission and your vision is so big that it just pulls you out of bed. It's so motivating and moving. It touch moves and inspires you. That's when it becomes easy to make that commitment to yourself. And it's really it's a commitment to yourself. And there's just something that naturally happens when you're connected to your purpose. It's like waking up and It's like I know what I need to do. Now, you may not even know the next step, but you know that it's going to be there and you know what you need to do and that's to move forward. And so, excuse me, even when I have, you know, bad days, they're few and far between now as opposed to, you know, what what life used to be like for me. (laughs) I don't know how I got to, you know, this point. It was, it was, you know, it was pretty rough before. But, you know, even when I do have um, a difficult day, I just pull out my mission and I go, oh, that's why I'm doing this. And it's just like I keep moving forward because that motivates me. Um, You know, actually, I'd like to share my mission with you. And so you can see how easily it is for me to commit to this. So my mission is to use my gifts to inspire and lead women to live in their life purpose, be grounded in their self-worth and join me in raising the consciousness of the planet. So when I'm going through something, um, you know, I I focus on that and I just get reconnected with myself and my commitment to what it is that I'm doing. And that is actually when the results will start to show up and then you'll start to see the results and then the results will motivate you. And then you go back to your mission and that motivates you and then you'll see more results and that motivates you. So it's like 
you know, it's, it's ever moving forward. And it's just a natural process that happens. And it also made me think when, you know, when you were saying that what you're committed to can be the challenge, like being committed to losing weight is really committed to the obstacle. Mm-hmm. Um, it also brings me to language, because when I talk to people about setting intentions or making affirmations, I'm, you know, I, I talk a lot about the wording that we use is what's going to become the focal point of the energy that we draw in. Mm -hmm. So if we say, for example, I am not sick, I am not sick, we're actually focusing on the sickness and can make ourselves sicker versus saying, I am healthy, I am healthy, I am healthy. There we're focusing on the health and therefore drawing in healthy. And I would think even with, because like when you said about being committed to losing weight, instead of saying my commitment or my mission is to lose weight, I would say make it a commitment or a mission that's worded as I'm committed to being healthier and more fit or living in a healthier, cleaner way or I'm committed to feeling better in the way that I live and am able to move in my physical body on a daily basis because it shifts the focus to what we're committing to from what am I trying to get rid of or get away from versus what am I trying to go towards or attract to me? Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with you. And um, if you were to think about it like this, all you have is your word. There is nothing else. All you have is your word. And if you want to get really good at creating and manifesting things in your life, you will get how essential it is to always be careful and cautious of your word because um, the more power that your word has, the more integrity that you live with your life and your word, the more powerful it will become. So these are one of the the things that we do is we, um, I have people go back and um, look into their life on where they have not kept their word. You know, where have you shown up late? You know, where have you, on your calendar, have you missed appointments? You know, what are those things that you had said you were going to do but never quite got to it? And those are the things that make you lose the energy out of your words. And saying those negative things to yourself or to other people. Um, And when you reestablish integrity in your life and you're living in integrity and you're really completing things, in, um, in a good way, then what happens is your words become more powerful. And you'll know when your word is powerful because there'll be times when you say things and they actually happen minutes later. So I know in my life when I wake up and I set the intention for the day and things don't go how I say, there's somewhere in my life I'm out of integrity. And I have to go reestablish and restore all of that integrity so that my words become powerful again. And I love how you said, you know, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. Yeah, of course you're going to, you know, keep getting, you know, you're not going to get better. You're going to keep, the energy is going to keep going towards the word sick instead of, you know, focusing on, on health. And I can't even tell you how many times I have verbally talked myself out of a cult. I mean, hundreds of times, you know, sometimes if I actually don't spend enough time doing it, I'll actually get sick. But I have literally just talked myself over and over and over out of getting sick. And it's just the word, the word is all you have. And if you really get that, 
you really, you know, get present to how powerful you really are. And it's it's recognizing the that I mean, oftentimes we hear people talk about, you know, the energy or the vibration of crystals or of plants or of anything in the natural world and everything around us. But I think if people also recognize that words have vibration as well, then they can use like there's a, a meditation technique that I use that I actually learned from Christopher Penzak um, that it, all you do is you choose what it is and then you say, and I do it over and over again because it's like a mantra. So you sit in meditation or you just sit and you, you say this over and over again and you say, I vibrate in harmony with. Okay. And one, that means you're going to be careful about the words you choose because you would never say, I vibrate in harmony with sickness. <laughs> you would say, I vibrate in harmony with health. And you know, doing that over and over again actually brings your vibration or your energy into harmony and alignment with the energy of the word or words that you are using, which then starts to help to manifest that. So I I offer that. I would perhaps encourage people to think about what you're saying and then maybe use that technique to empower their words by saying, I vibrate in harmony with. If they start that in the morning, then it means that they infuse the words they use with greater power and greater ability to manifest because those words are basically becoming embodied in you in perfect alignment with you. Um, I love that. I think that's brilliant. So I know now we're going to give a little treat to people that have, you know, been patient enough and have been sticking in there with their commitment to <laughs> to listen to this interview up to this point. And you have three secrets that you can divulge to people on how to discover their life purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and actually we've talked um we've talked about a lot of those secrets and you know, it's really the first two are about um your mission and your vision. And the thing is if you look at all of the people in history that have made a difference on this planet, you know, they had visions that were bigger than themselves. And if you are just stuck in the rat race of your life right now, it's probably because you are not focused on your vision. You don't have that, you know, you're not um, opening yourself up to that vision. And, you know, all most wealthy entrepreneurs, successful people, they know this. They operate, you know, with a mission statement. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do, and I just get a kick out of this, is Googling um you know, uh, entrepreneurs or wealthy people or famous people's mission statements, and they're just so inspiring. So, you know, really, if that's a place that you want to be, if you want to make a difference in your life and you want to make a difference with other people or on this planet, you know you have something in you, but you don't know how to pull it out, that is the first place that you have to start because that is what's going to get you up out of bed in the morning. That is what's going to give you the extra energy you need to get out of the hamster wheel that you're on right now. And then the third secret is really that you create your life purpose. You know, it's not necessarily um, a magic pill that you're going to take. It's not something that someone can tell you. It's actually something that you choose to create. And it has to do with your mission, your vision, and your passion in life. 
the causes that you stand for, the causes that you want to make a difference with. And so, you know, I think somehow, or at least I had the misconception that, you know, it was just something that was given to me. And really, it's about the journey. It's about the discovery. It's about, you know, what you create it to be. And the thing is, you can create it to be something different, you know, more than one time if you want. And that's the great thing about it. It's your gift. It's your purpose. It gets to be whatever it is that you say it is. So there you have it. <laughs> and and do you say those things in that order for uh, on purpose? Because I was listening, as you said, the three secrets, which was yeah. mission, vision, and purpose. And so you could say that that means you're a MVP. Oh, I like that. I'm I'm going to steal that. An MVP. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and that's that's the components of a life purpose: mission, vision, and purpose. And I, I think it's also important what you said is it it maybe sometimes it's easier for some people because they're given their purpose in some way or it's made clear to them earlier in life or whatever. But it's not so much about whether it's given to you or how easy it comes. It's really about what are you going to do with it. Right. And that's kind of the level playing field for everybody is whether you're given it or it has a, you have to go through a process just to discover what it is it's then we're all at the same point of saying, okay, now that we know what it is, given or not, what are you going to do with it? And that's where a lot of people start, I think, to fall short because they start to feel, well, I went through all the work to discover what my life purpose is. Now I'm entitled to it being easy or doors should be open for me, whether by other people or the universe or whoever. Right. <laughs> um, so... If someone comes to you, what what are the types of uh, services and things that you offer people when they come to you for life purpose coaching? Yeah, I actually have um, two ways that people can work with me. One is on a one on one basis, um, and I actually uh, for this you know for this particular for life purpose stuff, I actually don't work with someone just on a you know a one time session because I I actually bring them through the whole process and I. I coach them through all aspects of it because it is it can be a roller coaster ride, and so um, you know I do a lot of one on work one on one work so I, you know anywhere from three months to a year long and then I also have um, group programs that I run, and essentially it's two different programs. The first part is all about discovering your life purpose, and then the second part, um, the program that I run is how to take your purpose and turn it into a thriving business where those people are flocking to you because they want to hear what you have to say. And it's really amazing when you actually ground your business in your purpose. Um, you know, I, I've actually just seen the money kind of flow. You know, it's just kind of the natural way that it happens because you're so just grounded and deeply rooted in it and connected. And it's just so it, it, it becomes very easy. Yes, there are. It's not going to always be easy. There are some difficult days, but for the most part, it's um, you know, it's swimming downstream because you're in the flow of your life. So uh, those are the two ways that people can work with me. And one, I would like to ask: Do you think that this is something that's best suited to 
um, individual one-on-one -on -one work, or is this something that could also be done with you working with, say, a, a group of people or a couple or something like that? Yeah, um, I, you know, I do both. So in the the group work that I do, um, what happens is you see a community, you know, start to form, and everybody becomes really supportive of helping each other with this process. Um, of really just digging in and discovering your purpose. Um, and, of course, you know, I love the one-on-one the -on -one, one -on -one work because it's more, you know, it's, it's tailored to your individual needs. But I think um, either way you go is at least a, a, a step in the right direction. And what would you say to somebody who feels as if they've already found their life purpose or they feel they're already doing or fulfilling their life purpose? Would you say, I don't know that there's much that we could do together, or do you think that there is value and benefit in what you offer to people that already feel they're in their life purpose in some way? Um, usually when I come across those type of people, it would be more focused. Um, it depends on if they're in a career business. I tend to work primarily with entrepreneurs. Um, it's just an energy that I love. I'm really good at it. You know, we're talking about the whole creation process. There's something, uh, you know, some people can paint, some people can draw. I have a knack of putting business together, especially new businesses. I've always been like that. For some reason, I can just, I, I just, things make so much sense to me. And um, so, you know, that might be an area I would explore. Otherwise, you know, if, if they're already doing that and they're where they want to be, then, you know, there really isn't much I could do for them. And... There is a, a secret ingredient that you bring to the work that you offer people that many other coaches don't. <laughs> and that's the fact that you also work as a, a a psychic, a medium. I don't know which term you prefer, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you bring this other insight and dimension to the process that people can perhaps tap into or benefit from that many other coaches don't. Yes. So, um, I, you know, for many years, um, I have worked as a psychic medium and, um, you know, had a, uh, have a very successful business in that. And, um, I just took the number one question that everybody asked me and I made something with it and it's, what is my life purpose? And, um, one thing that I do see is I can see if someone has got it or not. <laughs> I mean, I can I can really see if they're in alignment with who they are. And I can spot those people from a mile away. I can tell right away if you're in alignment or not. I can tell if someone is in business and they're in alignment with their, you know, with their business, even their business mission and vision. I can, it, it's just something that I can, you know, naturally spot right away. And so I work with people um, until they're lined up perfectly in alignment, in the flow, where everything is just going the way that it should be. And it shouldn't be, life shouldn't be about survival and struggling. Life should be about creating and community and helping each other and working together. And, um, you know, just getting people reestablished with their 
their connection, which existed at one point. You know, we all we all came here, and it did exist, and it gets clouded by um, external influences, whether it's people or technology or, you know, our just our society is just so much. It, it's built around us never ever being alone with ourselves. You never have to be alone with yourself if you don't ever want to. But it's when that you are, you will really get connected to what the heck your life is all about. And perhaps for those who are listening, we can offer a special gift to them. Yes, I do have a special gift to the the listeners. So I would like to offer you um, a free, and I do say free, Discover Your Life Purpose strategy session, but you do have to fill out an application. And if you do qualify, I would love to give you a sample of my work and um, how you can find this application. If you go under MasterYourLifePurpose.com and you click on Work With Me, um, there's an application there and it will forward right to me. And then I will uh, get in contact with you. And perhaps we could tell people that they have to include someplace in a comment that I would have them say, I'm part of the revolution. Yes, please do. We know that they heard it on this show and that that lets you know that they're entitled to that, that free offer. Yes, please do. Um, you know, any anywhere you put that on there is fine. And um, I would just, you know, this is my life work, and I just really feel like I'm on this planet to help as many people as I possibly can discover their purpose. So again, um, the website is www.masteryourlifepurpose.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they can also find out, and this is to find out more about the services you offer as a psychic and a medium, if they just go to NadiaShapiro.com, um, which is N-A-D-I-A-S-H-A-P-I-R-O.com. And uh, are, do you have a Facebook page or do you have an email address that they can also contact you at if they had additional questions before filling out the application or something? Yes, absolutely. So um, email is Nadia Shapiro, N-A-D-I-A-S-H-A-P-I-R-O at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Facebook at Nadia Nadia Shapiro, Which would be facebook.com slash Nadia.Shapiro. Yes, what he said. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So as we near the close of our conversation, there's something I do at the end of all of my conversations with guests. And that is, I'm going to ask you for two things. One, I have a question to pose to you that comes from a previous guest. They didn't know who would get the question. And two, I'm going to then ask you for a question to pose for a future guest without knowing who it might go to. Okay. So the first thing is a question from a previous guest um, who was on last month, Carlos Chavez, and he was actually here talking about experiences with ayahuasca and using ethnogens and, and natural substances for spiritual awakenings. And his question for you is, what have you done today to help enhance your life? 
What have I done today to help enhance my life? Well, oh gosh, I've done so much. So I, um, I believe I'm a coach, so I always believe as a coach I should always have a coach. And I actually got to meet with my coach today who is helping me really get balanced in my brain function and just um, because of the crazy amount of hours I work, um, I need full maximum energy. And she's helping me um, really get on that. So what I've done for myself is I've just, I've loved myself and I've taken care of myself and I've exercised today and I've eaten great today and I've got the mental stimulation and I've, I've met with my coach. And so I've, I'm just really um, taking care of myself today so that I can be the better me to help and serve all of the, uh, all of the people that I meant to help out there. And and I loved when he asked that question because instead of saying, what have you done to help enhance somebody else's life, which a lot of times is what we get more focused on, mm-hmm. he asked about what we've done. And I would encourage people at the end of each day to look in the mirror and ask themselves that question. What have I done today to enhance my life? Uh, and it may be because I helped somebody else do something or whatever, but always making sure that we are including ourselves in the mix rather than it being always about other people. Um, so what question would you now like to pose for a future guest? Well, you know, his question was so profound, I'm kind of a little embarrassed to ask mine, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What color is your underwear? (laughs) That's my question. Well, that's perfect because it reminds us that sometimes we can't, we have to stop taking life so seriously. We don't have to spend every minute in deep contemplation of the great <laughs> philosophy of life. You know, a little fun, a little silliness is also quite uh, called for and helps to keep that balance. So, yes, I agree. For, thanks for doing that. <laughs> yes. So, again, if you'd like to find out more about Nadia and the services she offers as a life purpose coach, you can visit MasterYourLifePurpose.com. If you'd like to find out more about what she offers in terms of services related to psychic mediumship and readings, you can go to NadiaShapiro.com. So thank you very much, Nadia, for taking time to be with us here today. It's been a pleasure, and I have no doubt that people listening will have been able to take something from this that can help them to start to move forward or do something to implement in their lives a a forward progression towards being more in their life purpose and fulfilling their life purpose. So thank you for that. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. And just thank you so much. I just love sharing this work. And stay tuned. If you would like to get a reading a little later in the show, you can Skype in from the show page or call 646-716-5510, and that will get you into the queue for that. Uh, We will be hearing our astrology update here momentarily to give us a little sense, and you don't want to miss it because the, the astrological outlook for the coming month and into summer is extremely dynamic and positive and exciting, and you don't want to squander the opportunity to know how to use that energy and when things are going to really be popping for you to take advantage of. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to Revolution with High C. That's me. And we will be right back.
welcome to June and the strange light of the future. It has been said that milestones of civilization are often first considered in possible utopias. An economist, Albert Hirschman. Time is a construct. When you try and find it, in nature, you find a mirage, a false image created by two interfering patterns. Humans, on the other hand, experience time as a one stream in which everything is moving towards an indefinite and undefinable future. And as such, we have created the artificial construct called the future. It is an illusion that instills fear and confusion as well as wonderment and excitement in most of us. This is largely due to the inborn human psychological trait of resisting change, which the future guarantees with certainty. Change is fundamental to the dynamism of the universe and nothing ever stays stable for long. Whether it is an increase in complexity or some machination of entropy, the second law of thermodynamics. The other thing that allows many of us to regard the future with both anticipation and terror is the idea that fundamental assumptions we take for granted can suddenly be turned upside down in the strange light of the future to borrow a line from the neuroscientist and writer David Eagleman. It is the distinct idea that our consensus reality will change radically by changes we have little control over, and converging issues are sure to make this a potent possibility. And the future will certainly be a hodgepodge. Then again, the present is a mixture in any case. It's really a perfect lead-in to what June looks like astrologically, as the future is the overriding theme a mid-month retrograde of Neptune through Aquarius, giving us pause to revision what the future could be. This, activating the mutual reception of Uranus and Pisces, which seeks innovative approaches that liberate all of humanity into a higher state of complexity and functioning, and lead to sudden new realities that turn all of our existing social frameworks upside down, spurring new avenues of human experience, Perhaps we may even transcend our human limitations through technology and reimagined relationship to the biosphere. On June 12th begins a long Neptune retrograde. It's all about reimagining the future. This time will initiate a long cyclical transit, Neptune retrograde, which will last until November 18th. Neptune retrogrades are intense times in that our, recept- our receptivity and sensitivity to the subtle is very acute more so than when Neptune is direct. Often the issues that arise during these transits are best dealt with with before it stations direct or they can be amplified by the change in motion. In this case, with Neptune transiting Aquarius and in mutual reception to Pisces, a very interesting theme emerges. It is the dance between technology and liberation. It is a warning to not become deluded and fixed around our attitudes to technology or to see it as our savior, lest we become enslaved to it and the thing that was designed to serve us kills us instead. Technology is one of humanity's greatest achievements. It also has a dark side. Like any tool, it depends on the intentions of the user. It could be used to liberate or enslave. In a word, it signals the perils of deifying technology and making it our God. We must always remember it is a tool in service to the better angels of our nature. 
On June 14th, we see a Saturn retrograde back into Libra and we'll stay there until August 2nd. What we started during the Saturn conjunction of Libra goes up for review here. So what was happening in 2012? Plenty. Anonymous gave birth to Arab Spring and the first truly internet-based activism. The occupied movement deigned to bring awareness to economic inequality that was tearing the fabric of civilization to tatters. And many nations affected by the Great Recession of 2008 were living under austerity measures designed to get a sluggish economy back on track. During this period, all of it comes up for review, and like the Neptune retrograde, we are asked to re-examine our social contracts and determine whether they are truly just and fair or they are lopsided. A new civility is clearly in order. This coincides with, a sun, with, a, with the Sun conjuncting Mars. Radical departures and a force of nature combine in this hard aspect. If there was already selective pressure to innovate, it now takes on an urgency and forcefulness. It's change or die. To live is to dare. This will culminate on June 16th with a new moon and sees a continuation of themes route with the other planetary transits, namely the, hu the human nature interface. Albeit new forms emerge at this time as something is brought into being to, gest to gestate through the lunar cycle. On June 21st, we experience the summer solstice in the northern hemisphere and the winter solstice in the southern hemisphere. It also marks the pagan holiday Letha, or Midsummer, a time when biological systems reach their zenith of creativity and abundance. This is followed on June 22nd with Jupiter forming a trine to Uranus. If the day feels surreal in mindset and has the futuristic strange light, it is possibly because our perceptions are redshifting into the event horizon of some completely new singularity and cultural mutation. More importantly, it can portend that technological, futuristic, or collective ventures with strong liberation themes have the resources they need to establish themselves. Revolutions can happen under these auspices, and with the pace accelerating at which social evolution is occurring, revolutions go from taking centuries to hours and minutes. On June 23rd, the very next day, the sun enters the mercurial sign of Gemini. This is followed three days later as Mars enters Gemini. Mars and the sun now enter a sign that gives it the equivalent of fusion power, inexhaustible and highly volatile. It can also symbolize forceful words and argument in service to higher ideals, the war of ideologies, an, on, an ongoing backdrop in our world trajectory. June 29th, Venus will form a sextile to, universe, to Uranus. The theme will be celebrate diversity. There is an insidious problem in much of the discourse about minorities in most of the world, and it's one of erasure. People will state they are colorblind or that we are all just people. And while that is true, what is vastly different is that categories such as race, gender, sexual orientation, and sexual identity are all deeply present factors which shape a person's experiences and perceptions. To say that one does not see that as valid by dismissing it through a colorblindness is part of the problem. It erases the oppressions these people experience and denies the integral parts of their identities. I mention it only because this transit is an invitation to stop doing that. It is to take the blinders off and to actually see the diversities all around you and acknowledge them. 
So June has entered hyperspace, it seems, and may never resemble the Junes we have all been accustomed to. Or not. As the French proverb says, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Hopefully not. I'll see you all next month, cosmonauts. This is Prometheus signing off. Enjoy the strange light of the future. Revolution with host Heisey Lutlers on Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. Welcome back. This is High C, and you're listening to Revolution with High C. And we have reached that point in our show where you have a chance to receive a reading. And it looks like we have one person in the queue today. Uh, and so we are going to go over there and do a quick reading for them and see what it is that we might be able to offer. So, are you there, caller from area code 510? Yes, I am. Well, hello. Uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? I'm Mary, and I'm calling from Alameda, California. Hello, Mary. Thanks for calling in. What is it that we could look at for you today? Um, I am grateful to get a reading from you today, and I'm really interested in knowing about my relationship. I'm in a long-term relationship, and I feel like it's in a crisis I don't know if I should say more about that. Uh, no, that's fine. Um, we can see what the reading has to say, and you can jump in any time if you need to uh, elucidate on something I'm talking about. All right. So the first thing I start with is three cards representing one representing you, one representing the other person, and then one representing the relationship. And the card for you is the Ten of Swords. And that can show that we may feel as if we've been stabbed in the back. Uh, it may show that we feel as if we have negativity, for lack of a better word, coming at us from all sides. Um, it, sometimes that is a card that comes up that says, watch our back, which is just the sense of not necessarily believing or trusting everything somebody is saying or doing. So we want to kind of keep our eyes open and, and not just take for granted or assume that they're uh, completely on the up and up, which is that idea of watch your back. Um, 
Ten of Swords can also show us that we may be, uh, things may be causing our mind to reel. Uh, and it is a card that's at the end of the suit, and it can represent the end of a period of difficulty, conflict, or negativity. But the key is to say, where am I going to go from here? Not just, oh, great. Now, this it's like saying, oh, great, we had the argument, so I guess the issue is dealt with. But instead, it's mm-hmm. saying we had the argument, so maybe that brings up something, and now we need to look at where do we go from here in terms of how to continue to explore, resolve, or deal with that rather than thinking that one conflict or one argument solved the problem. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a, a, a little time alone might be good for both of you um, if that's possible because the card that came up for the relationship is the hermit. And so there is perhaps a need for everyone to retreat into their safe space, kind of the hermit going into their cave, and mm-hmm. one, allowing for a bit of regrouping and refocusing, because especially like with the Ten of Swords, there's a sense that our mind can be going 15 different directions, and we need to go and, and be someplace where we can allow that to calm down. In Buddhism, it'd be, mm-hmm. it'd be like calming the monkey mind in order to to bring that sense of focus. And now I can breathe again and I can start to think more clearly so that when I do speak or when I do take action, I'm doing it from a place of focus, clarity and understanding rather than a defensive lashing out kind of thing. Because Ten of Swords can make us feel like if... Ten different people are waving swords at us. We're just constantly trying to defend ourselves no matter what we have to do in order to do that. And the hermit mm-hmm. is saying, okay, let's let's take a little bit of space away so that we can come back to being able to act and speak in a more clear and focused way. Um, mm-hmm. The card for the other person is the two of swords reversed. And... When that card is reversed, there is a sense of sometimes it could be somebody has made a decision or a choice and they may feel as if, and that's the choice I have to live with. That's the direction I have to go. They they may not want to see or consider other options. Um, but also the two of swords for me can indicate like an arbitrator or a mediator. And the reversal of this mm. says, I don't want to risk having an outside objective voice be part of the mix. And because reversals can indicate fear. And so there is a fear. Mm-hmm. It'd be like somebody saying, I don't want to go to couples counseling because if they do, the right. fear, <laughs> the fear is, that couples counselor might call me out on some of my stuff and I don't want to have to deal with that. So therefore I'm just going to dig in my heels and say, okay, no, nope, this is my decision. This is my choice. I don't want to hear any other input and I don't want to have anybody telling me to think a different way that I may be wrong or that I may be doing something that is irrational or illogical, which can be reverse swords. Um, mm-hmm. And then when I expand on this, well, first, any questions about those three? No, it's very resonant to the situation. Okay. I, I have tried to sort of pull away and, and get my head clear, um, but we're very enmeshed. We live together. We have a family. There's a lot. Um, and so I've been trying to do that slowly and without making any permanent decisions yet. 
Um, and I feel like there has been some resistance on the part of my partner from getting counseling or, or um, having an uh, arbitrator of some kind. So it's very resonant. Uh, well, and the hermit being in the relationship position says that it could be something that would actually, that, that really it would be beneficial for both of you to take that time to yourselves. But the reverse two of swords would say that the the other person may be, since you've indicated you've been trying to do that, the other person may be very resistant to doing that because they don't want to be with their own thoughts. And again, that's kind of, mm. it's like having the other voice there. It says, yeah, I don't want to have to go and sit and think about this because if I do, then I might have to think about things that are uncomfortable or I might have to reconsider what I've been saying, doing, thinking, et cetera. Or there's things I just don't mm-hmm. want to face because I'm afraid of what that might mean. And so there's that resistance to the willingness. And, and that's why I say because it's in the middle in the relationship, it really is something that would be beneficial for both of you. Um, and whether that would be going away or each of you having individual counseling as well as couples counseling or something like that. But it, it would have to be a process that both of you are willing to do for yourselves rather than just one of you doing it, thinking that's mm-hmm. going to resolve the issue because the other person isn't really doing that work. Um, when I expand on this, you know, we have, well, so in the position of what's, what can help is the Knight of Wands reversed. So it, it hmm. does ask us to take or to move slowly, to not rush into anything, Um to to deliberate about our decisions or our actions, which is that time away and clearing our head and that kind of thing. Um, and interestingly, the 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 biggest hindrance or obstacle position is the Eight of Cups, which often is a card of emotionally letting go and moving on. But I think this combination of the Knight of Wands reversed next to the Eight of Cups is kind of like saying, let's not be too hasty or too much in a rush to just run away from something. And mm-hmm. while that's not going to to take away the option of saying maybe this is something that needs to, to separate or, or come to an end, it says I'm going to make sure I do that without feeling as if I have second, um, that I'm not second guessing myself, that I don't have doubts, that... Uh, I haven't felt that I rushed into something and now I regret having done that because maybe there would have been another way. And, mm-hmm. and you know, in the short term for me, which is the next one to three months, uh, we have the hanged man. So again, there's this reiteration of having a little patience, taking a bit of time, not rushing into anything. But also the hangman card can say, let's sit and see what happens. So that would be like talking with someone and saying, okay, here's the issue or issues that we're dealing with. Here are the things I would like to see. Um, And then maybe they make some promises. Okay, I'm going to try to do this differently or, you know, I'm going to do this. And then the hangman says, great, we've had that conversation. We've come to perhaps some things that we're both going to be willing to try to do. Now let me wait and see if there's actual follow through. Let me see if this is more than just words in order to placate versus there are actions behind the words and someone is willing to walk their talk. And I find this very interesting because today Saturn goes retrograde in Scorpio, Mm -hmm. if you must know. Uh, And with it going retrograde, one of the aspects of that is, um, as well as the Mars conjunct the sun, uh, in, in Gemini, if you must know, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> that there is a sense that it's about the next couple of months are really about taking ownership and responsibility for ourselves and our lives and our actions, mm-hmm. about um, having the willingness to walk our talk and recognizing we have the things available to us to do that, but are we willing to own those and work with those rather than shifting outward the blame? So looking and saying, yeah, I would do that except, and then there's always someone or something else at fault for why they can't do something or why something can't happen or why something is the way it is. So the hangman here, I think, is asking us to allow this time when the astrological energies are very, very stirred up and strong for motivating people towards that idea of ownership, responsibility, and walking their talk and saying, okay, let's see what those goals, what those points, what those things are, and let us take a moment to wait and see if everyone is willing to do that and play their part in that process. Now, the challenging thing here is, because of that Two of Swords reversed, I think, um, that the long-term card, which is kind of the big picture outlook, is the Three of Swords. Now, that can be challenging because it can say that if someone is too fearful or resistant to actually make change, take necessary actions, which really means look at themselves in the process and part of the situation and say, I also need to accept either where I'm wrong or what I need to do differently or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, If they are not willing to do that, because outcome cards for me say this is the most likely direction if nothing about the situation changes. And the only way it can change is if everyone involved in a situation is willing to be a part of the process. So if things stood the way they are now, then it seems as if we might reach an impasse. And the Three of Swords would suggest that we might realize in the long term that perhaps there needs to be separation or... Because Three of Swords is very much a card of like heartbreak loss. It's it's the, right. the traditional card of breaking up or divorce or something. Um, right. And, you know, the, the, the word that's on this deck that I'm using, I'm using the Tarot of the Spirit, and the, the word that's on the Three of Swords is recognition. So there oh. there's a sense that the long-term aspect says there has to be recognition, and because it's a suit of swords, there has to be sometimes painful or difficult recognition, which can mean my part in this rather than just I blame somebody else for this. Um, but it can also mean we have to come to recognition of some painful realities or some painful decisions. But the key here is that everything is pointing to not to be in too much of a rush to think that we have recognized and come to a conclusion rather than allowing not a long period of time, but for at least a couple of months, a little bit of time to say, Swords asks to lay things out clearly, though. So we want to lay things out and say, this is what I would need. These are the things we need to work on. This is what I would need to see in order to feel as if we can make progress or you know that kind of thing. Then we say, I give that person that chance. And we probably are going to give it a very defined time frame here because that hangman card okay. is in the short term, which says we're not waiting around forever. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're just saying within this amount of time, this is what would need to happen or this is what I would need to see. And then beyond that, it says if that hasn't been met, there may be some painful or difficult decisions or 
painful recognition of a reality of things that needs to be faced and dealt with rather than continue to allow it to linger, 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 linger because we keep waiting for something or someone to show us something or we keep hearing promises and words that something is going to be done or changed and yet it never seems to happen and there's always excuses and justifications for that. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's a pretty accurate description of off and on this discussion that's happened literally for years. And I well, um, I sort of have a follow-up question. Sure, but I'm just going Sorry. to say, since since it's been going on for years, this is saying that that idea of something going on for years is coming to an end because that hangman mm-hmm. card, again, is in the short term. And it says, okay, now mm-hmm. we're at the, and the Ten of Swords, too, says we're at that kind of make or break point and we're setting a very yeah. different, definitive timeline that is not very long um, that says if this doesn't change within we can push it out the most to three months I would say because of the position here uh, mm-hmm. and you know the the Knight of Wands is actually the card of Leo and so the reversal of that would say we're going to go right after Leo is when we're going to then decide what action to take which basically gives us the mm-hmm. three months so since I like that next weekend is summer solstice we could say we're giving it until fall equinox. And fall equinox would also fall into the three of swords because that's going to be the next air sign, which is Libra, which is about making Mm -hmm. those uh, difficult but objective choices that the sword of justice requires. Um, So I, I would use that as kind of the timeline or the time frame because then we enter into the harvest season which with fall equinox, which says, Am I, you know, am I seeing the fruits of the discussion? Am I seeing a harvest of action based on promises or is it still fallow ground? Even when mm-hmm. somebody said they were going to be planting seeds and cultivating them in order to bring about that harvest. Mm-hmm. So now your follow-up question. Um, my follow-up question um, is, is there any way to get some advice on how best to articulate sort of these are the specific things that I want to see that I would need to see in order to build something and move forward. Cause I feel as though, like you said, with that 10 of swords energy, my mind is sort of reeling and I'm not really able to be very clear. And I would prefer not to end with the three of swords. I would prefer for this <laughs> to move forward positively. So if I could, you know, increase my chances by being very clear, that would be helpful. So I think, so what I did is I overlaid three more cards on the first three as kind of a sense of very specifically, okay, how do we bring these two individuals towards a better way of communicating this? Um, I think a lot of what it's pointing to, so for you, we have the six of pentacles reversed. Hmm. For the other person, we have the nine of wands. And for the the dynamic between the two of you, which here would be very specifically be how do we go about best communicating with and to each other? We have the five of pentacles reversed. Um, so I look at this actually, and and I, I'm going to come back to, I think there needs to be an ability to sit down with an outside objective voice that mm-hmm. is able to kind of mediate that process because Six of Pentacles reversed is a sense of I've given as much as I can and now I need to receive. And so it's like I've tried Mm -hmm. to say this. I've tried to find a way to communicate this. I've tried to find a way to illustrate this. 
and reversing it says, and I can't, I have nothing left to give. I, I don't know what words to use anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't know what yes. action to take to try to get them to mm-hmm. understand. Nine of Wands for the other person says, and they're like, they would basically say, I've had it up to here, <laughs> hearing this or talking mm-hmm. about this, because they're going to feel as if you, you, you know, either they feel like they're constantly beat up on <laughs> or they're just exhausted from trying to engage in this, which sometimes starts to be an indication of do we really have anywhere to go with this if everybody has given what they can and they're now exhausted, so how do we engage in conversation? And mm-hmm. Five of Pentacles reversed says we need to, on the one hand, we need to break the codependency cycle. Um, mm-hmm. Because Five of Pentacles upright, people can wallow in misery together, and they tend to reinforce the misery rather than challenging the other person to change or to take responsibility or to be better. And so reversing it says we probably can't do this with each other because we just end up wallowing in misery together. And while we may not realize how it's happening, there may be a tendency towards enabling an enabler, which Mm -hmm. is, and that can go, if you've been dealing with this, same or similar issues for years, then there is a certain enabling aspect when another person says, I've heard them say this before or asked to change this before. Now it's coming up again. So there isn't a sense of consequence because Mm -hmm. it's like, even though I haven't changed, even though I haven't done something and they keep asking about it and I'm tired of hearing about this issue and over and over again, (laughs) um, I don't need to really do anything because there's never really been any sort of real consequence Mm -hmm. by not doing it. And that's where having an outside person that becomes the accountability person Mm -hmm. starts to, Mm -hmm. starts to call them on their, on their stuff. (laughs) I'm using, I'm using gentle language here for, um, (laughs) Um, which I would go back to the two of swords reversed saying, yeah, and I don't want to have to deal with that. So I'm certainly not going there. (laughs) Um, The other person would be saying that. Um, So I I don't know that there's anything left that you can really say or do or any, it's it's like saying there's really not another way for you to communicate this because you've communicated it. Like the 10 of swords would say, I've communicated it 10 different ways, every way from Sunday to Saturday over the years. And yet, no matter what, it never seems to be heard. Mm -hmm. So at some point, you have to say, maybe I can't communicate this. Not because you're not able to communicate, but because the other person is unwilling to hear it no matter how it's said. And, Mm -hmm. And this is, it's that classic conundrum. Because how often do we find ourselves saying something five different ways? to someone and they never seem to hear it. And then suddenly we're out to dinner with someone and somebody says, you know, and they basically say the same thing, like an idea or something. And all of a sudden that same person is like, oh, that's a great idea. I would have never thought of that. That's such an interesting way to think about it. And you're like, "Uh, hello, I've said that five different times in five different ways. (laughs) And I think it's, it's, that it's that need for the outside voice or the outside perspective that's going to be key here because there's nothing left. Six of Pentacles reversed. It says there's there's nothing left that you can do or have to offer that's really going to make them receptive. 
Okay. Which I know probably isn't helpful <laughs> because you're like, well. <laughs> well, it's validating. <laughs> it, it is definitely validating. This actually has been very helpful. And and don't don't think that it has to just you know be the traditional therapist route if that is either not appropriate or not um, preferred or maybe it's not accessible for financial reasons or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that we can find someone, whether it's a spiritual counselor or a, somebody who does that. So I, I just don't want people to get stuck thinking, well, I'd love to do that, but I can't because I can't afford $250 an hour <laughs> to go and have somebody sit mm-hmm. you know, and listen to us. Um, there, there are a lot of different variations of this. So I just didn't want you or somebody listening to suddenly get stuck thinking, well, that would be great, but I can't. Okay. Thank you. You are welcome. I took quite a few notes. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I'm trying to attack your... this problem in a mental sort of a way, so I appreciate you talking it through with me. Well, you you are welcome. And uh, well, Ten of Swords says it's time to stop attacking, and Six of Pentacles reversed as well. I think says you've you've attacked this enough. And now you're just doing damage to yourself. Mm. Uh, and at some point, we have to accept reality and stop fighting so that we can actually mm-hmm. step away from the battle and stop getting hurt. Yeah. Rather than putting ourselves in the line of fire constantly, thinking somehow that's going to make it better. Mm. Okay, thank you. I'll try to take that one away, too. (laughs) All right. You're welcome, and thanks for your patience. I know the show went a little bit long, um, but thanks for sticking in there. And I hope that you are somewhat able to enjoy the rest of your day. (laughs) Thank you very much, Icy. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Until next time. And that's going to bring us to the conclusion of our show. I want to thank my co-hosts for the roundtable discussion and my guest, Nadia Shapiro, and also, of course, my regular contributors, Linda Wiley and Prometheus, a.k.a. Tino Kalenda, for their Living Well and Astrology segments. And also, I want to thank everyone who is patient enough to wait and call in in order to receive a reading. I look forward to having you join me here again next month. The Revolution airs every second Sunday of the month, so I do hope that you will join me next month, which will be July 12th, for another exciting and revolutionary episode of Revolution with High C. Until then, have a blessed month. Thank you for joining us. Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers, brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carousella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lizney. Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Mm-hmm.